gosh. You guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah. Any stress? Any anxiety? Any family issues? Or just stay away from family altogether? Oh, whatever. Okay. Super to have you here today. We're looking at a, a series called By Anxiety. We're doing this series this time of year just because the holidays can be a time of great and high anxiety. Uh, This is our third message in the series. Uh, So far, we've looked at some of the causes of anxiety, which can include physical things like if you're exhausted or you're sick or a personality. Different personalities have different uh, stresses. Uh, If you are an introvert, you tend to look inward, so you tend to be a little bit more prone to having some anxiety than to wacko uh, nuthead extroverts like the guy talking to you. Uh, There's also brain chemistry, right? But there's also spiritual issues. Uh, we saw from the first psalm uh, we read in the first message where this guy is just wrestling with all kinds of stuff going on in his life and he's trying to fight it off by remembering scripture, remembering good things about God and he's kind of every time a, bounce, uh, a bad thought bounces he's kind of bouncing it back out with something that, uh, that kind of talks about how God's got everything under control. Last week we talked about the fun-filled, fun-filled day of uh, fear of aging and death, right? Sort of the end game of life. Today I want to kind of back up a half a step and talk about the anxiety, not of the fear of death, but to talk about the fear of living. And if you've got your Bibles or apps, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6, and I want to chat today about the fear of the future. So let's look at a passage from Matthew 6. Um, this is a really famous passage in the New Testament. It's, uh, Jesus, it's part of Jesus' magnus opus, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, just listen to what he says to this massive crowd that has been gathered to listen to him. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, Murphy's Law kind of states, right, that uh, anything that can go wrong will. And we oftentimes feel that way, right? We live with the anxiety over all the possible troubles that we're going to face. We live under the tyranny of the what if. We fear lack, we fear sickness, we fear job loss, we fear loneliness, we fear catastrophe. We have all these what ifs floating around in our head. And Jesus is actually addressing some people who are asking the what if questions. 
about the most basic necessities of life. What, what if I don't have food? What, what if I don't have something to drink? What, what if I don't have clothing? And they're not talking about your clothing, my clothing. We, we walk into the closet, it's full. Still, we got so much stuff that's laying on the floor, laying on this ironing board, and we go, I just don't have anything to wear. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who really don't have anything to wear. Jesus is trying to address their fears of the future, right, by uh, fear of, kind of rounding the corners and just seeing, expecting something disastrous to, to befall them. I, I actually love the Sermon on the Mount. And I, and I, I love it that it's Jesus' most famous uh, sermon, I guess. It is the one that we know the most. Uh, we talked through it here in late 2015, early 2016. So if uh, you want to know what the whole thing says, you can go back and pick up those messages. It's really awesome. Uh, it's a mess- it's, I don't think sermons are awesome, but the passage is awesome. The Sermon on the Mount is. And... Uh, in this sermon, what Jesus is doing is letting people know what it's going to be like to be a part of his kingdom. And he's kind of gone unveiled for them the fine print of what it really means to follow Christ. And he kind of has let them know that following him is going to require a radical, I mean very radical, reorientation of their lives. And Jesus is realizing as he's teaching this, He's causing his followers there, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of like, whoa, whoa, what, what, is it, what does this mean, right? Uh, but, you know, you kind of think, well, why would he care? Why would he care to address this? I mean, he's God, right? And he's going to be the king of this kingdom. He's going to rule. And he, has just throw out, he could just throw out decrees. He could just throw out marching orders and, they, and they'd have to follow, right? But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. He, steps, he stops and he kind of turns and kind of turns his attention to them and their, their issues and their worries and their sort of the same issues and worries and fears and anxieties that we have. Jesus, it turns out, is a king, but he's not a tyrant. He's got compassion and kindness and tenderness. And he's saying, look, look, I want the people in my kingdom to be free from fear and anxiety and worry. So three questions that I, I kind of dragged out of this passage for us today. I'm not really a big fan of three-part messages, but there's three questions I, wanted, I think that we need to address today on this topic of fear of the future. Uh, the first one is this. To whom am I listening? To whom am I listening? Here's what Jesus says in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you. I tell you. Do not be anxious. Jesus is going to begin to give us some arguments, some thinking about anxiety. He begins verse 25 with the word, therefore, and then he proceeds with a bunch of, uh, if you will, arguments against anxiety, why we don't need to be anxious. In verse 31, he says, therefore, again, gives us a few more uh, arguments against anxiety. He does the same thing in verse 34. Therefore, a couple more arguments against anxiety. So Jesus is doing, he's, he's reasoning with us. He's bringing into our minds thoughts that we need to have to help us free ourselves from fear and anxiety. He's saying, look, look, just so you know, I've kind of thought this thing through. I've kind of done some pondering on this. And I want you to listen to what I have to say, Jesus says. I want you to do two things. I want you to look and I want you to consider. In other words, just let's use our brains, Jesus is saying, on this whole subject. And that's pretty good guidance, I think, because when we find ourselves in the midst of trial or crisis or fear or anxiety, don't we kind of lose all ability to think clearly, <laughs> rationally? Then we just start living with all these irrational thoughts. And Jesus is saying, okay, I just want you to 
Take it down a step. Take a deep breath. Maybe take two deep breaths. Maybe take three deep breaths. Let me re- let's reason together. Let's talk. Let me, let me say some things to you that you need to hear right now in the middle of this anxiety that you're feeling about what the kingdom is going to be like. So Jesus wants us to listen to him. But you notice something. Jesus is not the only one talking in this passage. Verse 31. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Who else is talking in this passage? Yeah. You and me, the crowd. We're crying, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I hear you, but, but, I hear what you're saying, yeah, but, but. And we start arguing with what Jesus is going to say. We start listening to our own arguments. We get involved in self-speak. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? What if, what if, what if? What if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? What if I don't have this? What if I don't have that? And we just keep arguing with Christ about why we should indeed be anxious. We have every reason to be anxious. Here are my reasons. Let me give you the 25 reasons why I should be anxious. And we start playing out the worst case scenarios in our minds, right? You ever guys seen the book I have on the screen? Anybody ever seen this? Yeah. The Ultimate Worst Case Survival Handbook. The authors tell us up front why they wrote this book. Here's what they say. The principle behind this book is simple. You just never know. (laughs) And he goes through all these incredible scenarios that, you know, you might possibly experience sometime in your life and how to handle them. For example, okay, you've got got some people that are blocking you off and they look like they're going to be nefarious folks and they're going to do some harm to you. How do you ram the cars so you can bust through that, 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 that blockade? How to escape from killer bees? How to deal with an alligator that's sitting right next to your golf ball. How to free your leg from a bear trap. How to jump from a building into a dumpster. How to maneuver from the top of a moving train to get inside the train. How to leap from a motorcycle to a car. How to steer your bike down a sheer cliff. How to survive if stranded on an iceberg, right? book contains myriad scenarios that most likely are never going to happen to you. For the most part, they're just kind of funny and absurd. And yet, we all have worst-case scenarios circulating around in our minds, and most of them are probably never going to happen either. But we keep trying to convince ourselves that there is something right around the corner, something that's going to go wrong, a catastrophe that's about to occur. And Jesus is saying, hey, snap out of it. Take a deep breath. Stop listening to all of your fears of the future. Quit playing worst-case scenarios into your mind on repeat. So Jesus says, I'm going to tell you some things. I want you to listen to me, and I want to reason with you and reason you out of your fears and anxieties. So we can ask this question. In your mind, who gets the most airtime? Who gets the most plays in your mind? Is it the words of Christ? You're constantly thinking about what Christ says about stuff? Listening to the words of truth? Or is it just you talking in your mind? Conjuring up all these worst case scenarios. Remember the psalmist a couple weeks ago was so, woe is me about everything. And he keeps smacking himself around. Stop listening to me. (laughs) Here's what God says about himself. And that's going to drive me out of my dilemma of being uh, so fearful and anxious, right? 
This is what Jesus is saying. Stop talking to yourself. Stop listening to yourself. Listen to Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. The second question. In whom am I trusting? In Jesus, uh, in verse 30, says this. He addresses them. He calls them, but he says, as he identifies the crowd, Oh, you of little faith. He's telling them that they have anxiety and fear and frustrations and worries because they have such a small amount of trust or faith or belief in God. So the question is, who are we really trusting? See, our fears and our anxieties and our worries actually reveal something to us. They reveal what we really, truly, sincerely believe or don't believe about God. Now, this is very different from what we profess to believe. So you and I can say anything, but our fears and our frustrations and our worries and anxieties show what we really, truly, practically, actively believe about God, about his word, about this world that we live in, about ourselves, right? About the ultimate reality. And Jesus is going to reveal to us some truths that we need to hear. And we have to say, okay, I'm going to choose to believe those things and really choose to believe those things. And what Jesus reveals about God, if we really believe it, makes anxiety and fear utterly incompatible. If you and I will believe these truths that God is going to, Jesus is going to tell us, anxiety and fear simply cannot coexist with those beliefs. In other words, you cannot actively and sincerely believe these things and delight in these things, have them firmly fixed in your head as true, and at the same time, be in a state of defeat and worry and anxiety. It's impossible. So here's what Jesus reveals to us about this God of ours that he's calling us to trust in. Jesus talks about God's providential care. Providence is a big theological word, but it simply means that God is in charge. He governs the world. He directs the world. He's moving all things in the world to the fulfillment of his good, eternal purpose. Not only for his own glory, but also for his people. Ephesians 1 says this, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. How many things? Everybody else's things, but not yours. Not ours. Those, those people over there, they get, they get the blessings, and not us. No, no, all things. Hebrews 1 says this, that Jesus actually is, is carrying, he is sustaining all things by the word of his power. Jesus illustrates this providence of God in creation by the fact that God cares for birds. God actually feeds the birds of the air. You ever heard the phrase, a person eats like a bird? Usually it's talk about some skinny person or somebody who's on, a, on some ma- massive diet and they're only like, you know, eating, a, well, they're eating what, what? A pumpkin seed and that's it? That's what they're having for dinner? Eats like a bird. That's wrong. We should never say somebody eats like a bird. Because birds eat a whole lot. <laughs> Cooper's hawk. It's a medium-sized bird. That sucker eats 12% of his body weight every day. If a human being weighing 150 pounds ate that much, he would be eating 18 pounds of food every day. About six extra, extra large pizzas. There are 9,300 species of birds in the world. And they eat 
massive amounts of food in proportion to their body size. The smaller the bird, the higher the percentage. Small birds eat about 35% of their body weight every day, right? And Jesus says, you know, God feeds every one of them. Jesus is probably preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he's seen some birds fly over or some birds over there eating 35% of their body weight. He says, look, birds, see them? They're being fed right now as we're talking. Your heavenly father is feeding them. He is a God that provides, a God that is in charge of everything. He's going to take care of, of the birds. He uses a second illustration as well. Oh, you're concerned about what you're going to wear? Look at, the bird, look at the flowers. Look at the flowers out in the field. I got some pictures of some wildflowers in Israel. So maybe this is what they would have pointed to as Jesus was yakking about this. He goes, look at the flowers. They don't work. They don't do nothing. They don't spin. They don't make clothes. Yet Solomon, as glorious as he was in his day, was nothing compared to even one of these flowers. The intricate beauty, the detail, is beyond the most spectacularly arrayed human being that ever walked the planet. In other words, God is totally in control of all things, growing flowers, feeding birds, orchestrating everything that comes to pass, moving every atom of creation around to accomplish exactly what he wants to get done. Conclusion, since God is in control, you and I don't have to be. Good news for you. You don't have to be in control. God's in control. He's arranging all the details of our personal lives. Now, you and I may not always like what God does as he arranges the details of your personal life, but here's the good thing. God's way smarter than you are. Way smarter. He's bigger than you. Way bigger. He's more powerful than you. Far more powerful. And he even loves you more than you love yourself, right? And that's where Jesus points to next. God's fatherly love. Jesus calls God your heavenly father in verse 26 and also in verse 32. Now this is of course true only for those who have joined themselves to God in relationship through faith in Christ. Scripture says that those who believe in Christ, he gives them the right to become children of God. If you're a Christ follower here this morning, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you turn to him and declared him to be your savior and your Lord, scripture says that you have been adopted into the family of God. And he loves you perfectly. You're his child. And he cares about everything about you. Every detail of your life. He loves you with a fatherly love that's compassionate and tender. We're told that he's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love towards us. He never takes you off of his radar, right? And because of that, you are much more valuable than anything else in all creation. More valuable than all the birds. More valuable than all the flowers. If he takes care of them, he is going to take care of you because you are his kid. I mean, there's some amazingly awesome things in creation, right? Quasar clusters, galaxies, planets, stars, name anything. And you, any one of you, outshines all of them. Because you are not only made in God's image, but if you are a Christ follower, you are his child through faith in Christ. Jesus wants us to think about that. He wants us to ponder that. He wants us to consider that. He says, look, look at the birds for Pete's sakes. Consider the flowers. Think about that. Think through this stuff. 
you don't have to panic over everything that comes along. You surely don't have to panic over stuff that hasn't even happened yet. Take a deep breath. It talks about God's limitless knowledge and wisdom. Verse 32, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Clothing, drink, food, right? Hear that? God knows what you need. Earlier in this same um, sermon that Jesus is teaching, he's talking about prayer. And he says this. He says, you don't have to conjure up a bunch of religious phrases. You don't have to use the right for religious phrases to get God's attention. You're his kid. Hey, dad. <laughs> Pull on his pant leg. Can, can, I get me a, can you give me some water? He says, you don't have to do, you don't have to pray for hours to, you know, to force him to do something that he doesn't want to do for you. Why? Because God already knows what you need before you've even opened your mouth. Why? Because he knows everything. He's omniscient. So he's orchestrating all the details of your life according to his wisdom and knowledge and power. In other words, you and I as his children are in really good hands. He's a God who's all-powerful. He knows everything. You know, he's never been shocked. You know that? Never been surprised. You know that nothing ever occurs to God? Think about that. He never wakes up and goes, man, I, I, I didn't see that coming. I, I, I didn't see that happening. I, I, didn't know, I, didn't, I didn't know that that's where that was going to go. He knows everything. Now, listen how Jesus brings all these things so far into play in Matthew chapter 10, a few, ver- a few chapters later. He uses birds again. He says, Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? You know what that means? Sparrows are worthless. I mean, you can buy two for a penny, that's like 50 cents. They're not worth anything. They're useless. They're, they're, they're sparrows. But not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. That's providence. He's orchestrating. He's governing. He's ordering all the details of all creation So that even sparrows don't fall from the sky that God doesn't know about it and it's not according to his will. Matthew 10, verse 10. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's his omniscience. God only knows about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows knows how many hairs were on there five years ago and how many less there are now, right? He He knows that some of them were black before, now they're gray, right? He knows all the intricate details of your life. Matthew chapter 10, verse 11, 31. Fear not, therefore, you are of much more value than sparrows. It's Father love. He loves you. He values you. He cares for you. Now, you should be able, and I should be able, to trust a God like that. If, of course. If. Big if. If we know him. I mean, if we really know him, if we really have a relationship with him. That's what he says back in verse 32 in chapter 10. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Oh, what things? Well, the things. Food, drink, what to wear. In context, when Jesus here is talking about Gentiles, he's simply talking about those people who don't have any relationship with God. They're, They're apart from God. They're not children of God. Yeah, they're made in God's image, but they're not children. Jesus says, look, these people without a real relationship to God, who don't have God as their father, people who have eliminated the real God from their equation, They don't have an ability to trust this God of providence. And when you don't trust in the God of providence, who's ordering and orchestrating all the details, not only of your life, but also of the creation, then you are basically left on your own. 
As cute as this is, I got a Dr. Seuss rhyme up here. As cute as this Dr. Seuss rhyme is, the truth is when you are what you have to trust in, you are limited. You are not all-knowing. You are not all-powerful. You do not control all the things that determine where you will go. And that lack of control is going to bring you fear and anxiety and insecurity and panic. If you don't trust in a loving father who's working all things together for our good, then we have to live with a scarcity mentality where we need to try to control the outcomes of our own lives and secure good for ourselves. We have to because we do not have a father watching out for us. And Jesus says, look, if you know the father, you don't need to be afraid. That's what it comes down to. Jesus says, listen, please listen what I'm saying here. I want to plead with you. I want to reason with you. I want to talk you through these things. If you know God, if you know God, and if you keep these truths about God, who he really is firmly in your mind, well, these truths will not exist alongside fear and anxiety. They will drive out fear and anxiety. So Jesus is talking to us. He's reasoning with us. He's trying to get into our heads. See, there's a fundamental difference, therefore, in how we will experience life in this world of ours if we know a God through faith in Christ, even when things start to fall apart. Because the promise isn't that he's going to make everything go well for us all the time. I mean, you all know, right? We're headed for death. We talked about that last week. Unless Christ comes back early, we're all going to die. We don't have to be afraid of that because we know where we're going in Christ. The promise of this is that God is with you in the middle of everything falling apart. And you can trust him to bring you through it. Jesus is saying there's going to be a fundamental difference in how we, those of us who know Christ and know the Father, will experience this world and all of its trials. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his book, Studies on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this about this passage. He asks a question. Is it clear? Is it obvious? Is it clear and obvious to me? Is it clear and obvious to everybody else that my whole approach to life Is it clear to me and everybody else that my whole approach to life, my essential view of life, in general and in particular, is altogether different than that of a non-Christian? He answers the question. Should be. Should be. He then says, I know of no better question a man, a woman, a teen, can ask himself or herself, in every circumstance of life, is my reaction essentially different from what it would be if I were not a Christian? In other words, if you are a Christian here this morning, how do you typically respond to a crisis, to a fear that you have in your life? When the what-ifs creep into your mind, when the worst case scenarios make their way into your thoughts, is your response to those things fundamentally the same as every other non-Christian that walks the planet? The same as those who do not know God as a providential, all-knowing, all-loving, heavenly Father? 
Jesus says, look, if you will keep these truths in your minds, in the forefront, not back there, here, when anxiety happens, when fear happens, when worry happens, when panic happens, when anxiety happens, if you keep those things for in the forefront, anxiety and fear, panic do not have a chance. So are we living day by day as if we don't know God at all? Listen to Christ. Consider who God is. Keep these truths firmly fixed in your mind. Not just lip service. Meditate on them. These are God's truths about himself. Jesus says, I want you to look. I want you to consider. I want you to reason. I want you to think about this. Then third question. What am I seeking? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be, all these things, what? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? What am I going to eat? All those things will be added to you. Here's, Here's the hard truth. When you and I, we tend to do this, when we eliminate God and the truths about God from our thinking, from how we feel about stuff, how we live, you and I will have no choice, no choice, but to live for material things. It's just going to happen naturally. If you have functionally eliminated God from your life, not saying you're an atheist, just saying you might be acting like one. Because the truths of God are now nowhere near you. They're not in your forefront when trials or worry or fear or crises hit. If that's where you are, then you'll be forced to dwell on material things. You'll be primarily concerned about securing good for yourself, about shielding yourself from danger, about amassing for yourself surplus, about controlling the circumstances best you can, safeguarding your own future and the future of those that you love, care about. That's what you'll live for if you have a functionally eliminated God from your life. You will do this. You will try your best to build and run your own personal fortified kingdom where you can be safe and feel secure. Let's face it, it's a pretty puny kingdom. Pretty weak kingdom. It's a pretty vulnerable kingdom, right? Because we know that loss happens. We know that sickness happens. We know that suffering happens. We know that death happens. We know that loneliness happens. We know that volatile stock market shifts happen. We know that layoffs happen. We know that natural disasters. We know all these things occur in our world. They are our reality in this world we live in. And because that's true, our king that we build is always vulnerable. And because our kingdom is always vulnerable, fear and worry and anxiety will always be present. This is just what happens when we eliminate the truths about God from our life, from our thinking. Jesus says, let me tell you something. There is a kingdom that's a little bit better than the one you might build for yourself. One that's not vulnerable, one that cannot be shaken, it is the kingdom of God. If you will seek that kingdom first, if you'll bring all your life under the rule and reign of God, right? Jesus is saying if you 
want to have peace, you want to have freedom from anxiety and fear, that's how you do it. Jesus says this, okay, if you want to be anxious, I mean, you, have to, you feel the need to be anxious about something, be anxious about this. Be anxious to know God. Let that be the thing that keeps you awake at night. I've got to know God better. I want to do his will better. I want to live the way he wants me to live better. I want to be led by his spirit better. I want this to be my primary concern, my greatest ambition. I want to seek his kingdom first. Why? Because his kingdom cannot be shaken. I want to live in that kingdom. I want to rest in that kingdom. I want to rejoice in that kingdom. I want to submit to the great rule and reign of this king that I've given my life to. That's what I'm going to pursue. And Jesus says this, if you do that, if you make that transition, if you reorient your life to that, Jesus says, I'm going to make you a promise. If you will make that your great anxiety, God will take care of all of your needs. That's what he says. He will take care of all your needs. If you will see to it that you are in pursuit of him and the kingdom, make that your greatest need, he will meet all of your lesser ones. God's good. He's a generous king. He's a generous father. He promises to provide everything you need, listen, everything you need when you seek, everything he wants you to seek. You get that? God will provide everything that you need when you start seeking everything he wants you to seek. When he says that he will give you all things, it doesn't mean you just drag out your laundry list of wants. He's not saying everything you want. What he's saying here is that I will give you everything you need to continue your pursuit of everything I, God, want you to pursue. If you say, God, I'm going to pursue you with everything I have and I'm going to pursue everything that you want for my life, God says, fantastic. Fantastical. I will give you everything you need to do that. You just trust me. So be anxious to know him. So let me conclude then with how Jesus concludes. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus says, hey, can we be honest? Today's full of trouble. And you know what? Tomorrow's going to have some too. Ed Welch in his book, Running Scared, says this. Worriers are visionaries minus the optimism. Worriers are visionaries minus the optimism. Think about that for a second. Warriors are visionaries. They are thinking about the future. But they have no optimism. Right? Here's what your future is going to look like, and it's all bad. That's their conclusion. It's all bleak. It's all dangerous. It's all terrifying. It's all frightening. What if? What if? What if? Jesus is saying, look, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about the future. He's not saying don't plan because the Bible commends and commands being responsible, saving, being good stewards. What he is saying is that you are powerless to change tomorrow's troubles with your worries today. Worrying today is not going to affect a single thing in your tomorrow. It's just not. Jesus says it's valueless, less than a sparrow even. You can't even add a second 
to your life by worrying. So let today have its own worries. Here's what God says. I will give you everything you need to get through the troubles you have today. And that's it. Remember the children of Israel running around the wilderness for 40 years? They're hungry. God sends them manna. He says, look, I'm going to do this every single day. So go out every morning, pick up what you need for the day, and uh, I will give you, the, I'll give you what you need the next day, the next day. Don't try to get more than you need for the day. Don't store it. You don't, forget that. Children of Israel, disobedient as they most often were, they tried to stash it up, many, many jars. Okay, we'll get all this. We can on this day. They wake up this morning, wake up the next morning, and everything that they picked up the day before is rotten with maggots all over it. They learn the lesson. Okay, every day God's going to provide what I need for the day. Right? So, God, I know that you will be in my today. You'll be with me during the troubles of today. And I can count on you in your, with your love and your knowledge and your omniscience and your wisdom that you will be there tomorrow in the trouble that's waiting for me then. So I'm just going to trust you today. I'm going to wake up today and declare that today my life is in your hands. And I'm going to trust you for today. And I'm going to trust that tomorrow when the troubles show up, you'll be waiting for me too. Because again, I know that you're not going to be surprised by what's waiting for me. And you will have waiting for me everything I need for that when it gets here. I've got to remind you, yet again, that all these promises that God is making, that Jesus is talking about here, belong exclusively to those who belong to Jesus. So the big question is, do you know him today? Have you put your faith and trust and your life in his hands? Has he become a father to you because you have embraced his son and become part of his family? There is forgiveness of sins through Christ. Truth be told, there is forgiveness of sins only through Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is no other. No one comes to the Father except through him. If you want to face down your fear, you want to face down your anxiety about the future, you must first face down your sin. You need a savior. You need to turn and trust in Christ. So I'll close this for you Christ followers. Refuse to worry. Because here's what your fears and my fears really are. They're liars. They tell you lies about God all the time. They tell you he doesn't really love me. He's not really watching out for me. He doesn't really have my good in mind. He's not mindful of what I really need. He's not big enough to deal with my particular circumstance or situation. I mean, he can deal with everybody else, but mine is unique. Mine's unique. He's, he's not really prepared. He's not really capable. He's not really equipped to deal with mine, so I got to worry. All lies. All your fears of the future are false prophets. And you got to call them out as such. Call them liars. Every time you feel a fear rising up, call it a liar. You can tell it's a false prophecy about God, right? You say, sorry, I'm not going to receive that. I'm going to listen to what Christ had to say. I'm going to trust my providential, all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving Father. I'm going to be anxious about nothing except to know him and to serve him and obey him.
and I'm going to trust him to provide me everything I need in that pursuit. Because if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for me, will he not freely give me all things in Christ? I'm going to keep God before me. I'm going to keep myself in the presence of God. I'm going to fend off fears and worries with the truth of God. And in that environment, anxiety cannot live. Let's pray.